This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Reading from Acts 2, 22 through 36. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Um, I am Pastor Erica, and I am the uh, pastor of prayer and mission outreach um, here at Community Covenant Church. And um, just in case those of you that were wondering, um, I volunteered to preach this Sunday. This was not the Sunday that they decided to give to the girl because everybody else wanted to be watching the Super Bowl. So, want to just make that really clear right up front? It wasn't one of those where everybody else stepped back and I was left. Um, but um, I'd just like to start this morning by, by making a, a point the, about the, the Super Bowl and about how it is that our culture loves heroes. Our culture loves to focus on greatness. As human beings, I think we look for that. 
We want to see that. We like to see examples of like the way that the best that we can be. And this morning as we were worshiping, one of the things I really appreciated as I was standing back there and I was thinking is that 100 years from now, nobody's going to remember who won the Super Bowl today. Nobody's going to remember the score. Nobody's going to remember who made the amazing catches. But over 2,000 years later, we are gathered here this morning like people all over the world celebrating that he is alive. That the greatest man that was ever born who died and rose again is seated at the right hand of God. That is worth celebrating. So, as I start this morning, I'd like to um, ask you all to just join me in prayer um, as we look into the scripture. Father, we thank you for the gift that you gave us through your son. Lord, we thank you that it is in and through your sacrifice for us on the cross that we have life today, that you offer us life abundant. And this morning, Lord, as we delve into your scripture, as we take communion together, Lord, we pray that we would be able to see you and know you, honor you, and glorify you through our lives. And we pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. So, as someone who's tasked with giving a sermon... This sermon out of Acts is really intimidating because the number of words that Peter spoke and the number of converts he was able to get in that short amount of time is really pretty scary. Because my guess is he spoke the words out of that are recorded in Acts, it probably took him 15 minutes. In seminary, they'll tell you, you want to preach somewhere around 25 to 35 minutes. You got to break your points down. You got to know what you're talking about. This guy just stood up and did it. And as I was looking through this, this passage, 22 to 36, I thought, wow, okay. So I have to give a sermon on probably one of the greatest sermons that was ever spoken. I'm a little bit intimidated this morning. Because part of what I want to do is I just want to kind of take a step back and let's say, oh, let's just read this out loud. <laughs> But there are some really important points that I want to to share with you this morning before we even get into the text. And I think that Pastor Todd pointed this out, um, if not last week, then a couple weeks prior to that. But this scene at Pentecost was less than 60 days 
less than two months after Jesus had been crucified. It was not like years later. It wasn't even like six months later. It was literally somewhere between 52 and 55 days that you have a gathering of the exact same crowd that 50-something days prior was stirred up into a fervor that was yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It was the same group of people. The same party that were demanding his life. And here they are, less than two months later, listening to a message that is being given in, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And suddenly their hearts are being turned. The other thing I want to point out, and those of you um, done sermons about Peter, I love Peter, because Peter is a screwball. I mean, this guy, when he messes up, boy, he just goes full force. And so here is Peter that less than 60 days ago was denying Christ. Less than two months prior, he wouldn't even face a slave girl and admit that he was with Jesus. Now, I don't know if there is a more powerful example of the way that the power of the Holy Spirit can turn someone around and give them such an overwhelming sense of courage and bravery to stand up in front of the same crowd that asked for the life of his Lord and to stand up and be witness to who Christ was. And for those of us who think God can't change something, the Holy Spirit can't move in me, nothing will ever change, that man who was a coward 60 days before was one of the bravest people to stand up and say, my fellow Israelites, this Jesus of Nazareth that you crucified, he was not afraid. And I hope that for you, that's a word of encouragement. That nothing is impossible for God. So let's go ahead and turn to the passage here. And last week, <clears throat> Pastor Todd talked about the Holy Spirit and how it was that through the empowerment of the Spirit that the, the Jews, the Israelites, were hearing the message in their own language. And Peter interprets this as being the sign that they were waiting for in Joel, of the Spirit being poured out. And then this piece 
is the crux of this passage. He says to them, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Peter is pointing out to them, you had no idea what you were doing. In your religious fervor, in your crowd mentality, in your fear, you crucified what you'd been waiting for. Just a few weeks ago, we were celebrating Christmas. You know, the, 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 uh, the old Christmas songs about, you know, the hope and fear is being, you know, all of it was being raised up because this is Emmanuel, God with us. That they had been waiting, waiting for a Messiah waiting for someone to save them, waiting for the kingdom that was promised to David. And they couldn't see it. They had no idea what they were doing. It very much echoes the words of Christ on the cross where he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And Peter is pointing out to these people that this man that you were a part of taking his life, this was God's plan. This was the plan that was set out from the beginning. And you were a part of it. Peter masterfully takes pieces of very familiar psalms and he points to them. Psalm 20, excuse me, Psalm 22, 16. They will pierce my hands and my feet. The Israelites knew this stuff. They knew these words. They were part of tradition. They were part of the temple life. They memorized this stuff. They were an oral culture. They knew the prophecies. They knew the words. And yet when they were face to face with this man, they had no idea. They missed it. Because he wasn't what they were looking for. Verses 25 to 28. Peter quotes Psalm 16, 8 to 11. 
where David, David who was the Jews king of kings, I mean, he was the guy. He was the one who had joined all the tribes together. He was the one who had been promised the seat that his seed was going to be the seed that brought forth the Messiah. But Peter points to the psalm where David says, I saw the Lord always before me because he was at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your holy ones see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. The Messiah was not going to be one that was going to be left abandoned to the realm of the grave. God was going to raise him up. And David, because David was a prophet, because of David's intimate relationship with God, knew that. And so he was able to speak these words. And so this was a part of the mystery, the unveiling that Peter was doing through the Holy Spirit in this sermon. He's saying to him, this is exactly what David was talking about. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, this is who he was. This is what you've been waiting for. This is what you missed. He goes on, and this is a great piece to me, verse 32. I think it's just a beautiful piece because Peter says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. If you go back to the Gospels, and every single one of them, There are scenes the night that Jesus was betrayed. And in every one of those scenes, Peter can't stand up and witness to anything. When he's approached by the lowest people in society, a slave girl... He can't even look her in the face and admit that he is with Jesus. He won't witness to it. I don't know what you're talking about. That's not, I don't know. I I, I don't know who he is. I'm just hanging out here by the fire. I'm cold. He cannot witness to it. He doesn't have the guts. And yet, here he is, standing in front of the crowd, witnessing, saying, I have witnessed the resurrection. We, the eleven that were with him, we have witnessed it. We have seen the answer to the prophecy. In verses... 33 um, 33 and 34 
He says, the exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. The promise of the Spirit. And he says, for David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. For your feet. Here, Peter again is quoting a psalm. Psalm 110, 1, where David is speaking of the long awaited Messiah. And what Peter is doing as he's pulling these pieces from their past, as he's stepping forward and he's saying, this is it, guys. This was the Lord and Messiah. He is Lord and Messiah, and he has risen. He's taking these pieces from their their past, and he's showing it to them. This is how you missed it, guys. This is what you've been waiting for, and this is it. And ultimately, this was a work of God. This was not the work of a man. This was not some movement where everybody just got all riled up and excited. Because there had been plenty of those. But this was different. And he says at the end of this, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. This is a work of God. Christ dead, buried, three days, risen, seated at the right hand of God. The most profound, historic, world, spiritual, emotional, physical event that has ever happened. And next week, Pastor Todd will enter into their response. But this morning, we have an opportunity to respond ourselves. The title of my sermon this morning was, Who is this man? And when I really think about it, I don't know that I am that different than those people that were there in that crowd that day. Where I have an idea of what I think or I want Jesus to be. And when he's not, I'm kind of okay with just kind of putting him aside. I'm kind of okay with relegating him to something that is my religious or my spiritual life, but not my everyday.
And so this morning, we're going to spend a little bit of time reading some scripture. And I'm going to invite you to meditate on what it is, where it is, that you are missing Jesus. Where, it is, where is it that you need to re-invite him? Where you need to see him new or different? Where you need to say, you are Lord and Messiah? One of the ways that the people missed Jesus was laid out in John 6 where he says to them I am the bread of life if you want to live you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood and this morning we have the opportunity to celebrate communion And communion is an act of communing with our Lord and Savior. And sometimes we can do it in a way that is kind of like going through the motions. In some ways, it's like doing the same thing in the temple rituals that the Jews were used to. But I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bible, to turn with me to John 6. And John 6, 53, starting in 53, Jesus said to them, Very, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and, will rise, and I will raise them up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father so the one who feeds on me will live because of me this morning we're going to do communion a little bit differently. Actually, not a little bit, quite differently. <clears throat> because I would like to invite each and every one of you to commune with your Lord. There are tables set up in the back. There's two, there's one over here, there's one in the center, there's one over there. On their tables are the elements. There's bread. And there's cups, there's gluten-free rice crackers. But what I'm going to invite you to do is I'm going to invite you to go to that table, to pick up your elements, to bring them back to your seat while the worship team is playing, and commune with the bread of life. After everyone has 
gather their elements. We will um, pray together, and then we will take together. So I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team up. And I'm going to ask you, as you go to the tables, that you would do this in reverence. Because you're approaching a table that's been set for you by God. So in that, approach in a way that honors others around you as well. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have set the table for us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that in these next few minutes, as we approach your table, Lord, as we take the elements, that we would commune with you, Lord that you would move in our hearts by your spirit to show us the ways that maybe we don't see you, that we have missed you just like the people 2,000 years ago missed you. Open our hearts, Lord, to be able to hear and to see and to know that you are present with us, that you are real life more abundant than we could ever make for ourselves. And we pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.